Please join with me as I pray, and you can say hallelujah or amen, anything like that, to show your agreement. Father in the heavens, only you know uh, um, how I've struggled with this material. I ask, Father, that you um, extend a special kind of grace today to receive what is right and good, and for those things which which I've miscalculated my words, and uh, maybe I'm all center, I, I ask you, Father, to give us a sense of blindness and and deafness. Let all that fall to the ground. But where your will is stated here, Father, make it clear to us and uh, prosper these words for life and for fellowship. Committing this entire Sabbath into your hands in Yahshua, we pray. Amen and hallelujah. I was so pleased with the music ministry prior to me coming up here. Hallelujah. The uh, special from the Praises for Yahweh team, that was terrific. And that poem from Brother James. Brother James, you may be listening today. Uh, we had a game night recently, and it just wasn't the same without you. Hallelujah. I know we all feel that way. I'm also glad that these remarks of mine are going to be uh, preceded by a song called I Surrender All, because I think to get through it, you and I both are going to have to surrender all. Uh, this week I'm experimenting with a um, a new mouse that will, uh, whoops, see if I can get that, oh, I know what to do. Yes, we're going to be experimenting with a laser pointer today. Do you see that thing moving around there? Okay. Just trying to bump it up a notch uh, for us for emphasis. Friends, I'm Mother Michael Bannock from Fulton, Missouri. Every blessing of Yahshua be yours. The title of my remarks here today is East Side, West Side, Part 3, Thoughtfulness and Trust. For the recording ministry this is an outreach, this is November 17th, 2018 at YRM, Holt Summit, Missouri. This is a three-part review of vulnerabilities particular to each gender. Let me back up. I emphasized the word vulnerabilities. At first, I was going to call them sins, but as I got you know, through the material, I realized what there actually are is proclivities we have based on gender trends, trends within our gender. And these are vulnerabilities that we, like weaknesses, we have to be aware of so we don't fall into traps there. Men have their thing, women have their thing, east side, west side. I'm going to do a brief review of what we talked about before because this third installment is the last one. Those of you who are just accessing this through the outreach, you can look in the video archives and find these previous ones. It will always be called East Side, West Side. In part one, I covered the, the, the guy thing and the girl thing. The guy thing was, uh, let me back up, this, this information was based on years of interviews, conversations, research, <laughs> digging, when it came to part one, the guy thing, I was, I, was, I was focusing in part one on sins unto death, stuff that would be like really serious. And um, there was no need for me to interview the men, but I did anyway, just to make it official. But uh, it's just men universally know that we have to really work to keep lust under control. And it's just like <laughs> the, the interviews and the conversations with people went so quickly on that, for the girls, though, the, 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 they are they are made more sensitive than us, and often the ladies have a hard time forgiving. They have a hard time letting go. 
And it's, um, it's very destructive, you know, and I call it a sin unto death because Yahshua says, if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. Ball game over. You know, I hate to be so blunt about it. But know this, I mean, each of us are dealing with an extremely difficult challenge in each of our domains, each side of the tracks, east side and west side. Maybe you ladies are puzzled why lust would be a problem for men. Well, just think about how hard it is for you to forgive certain things. And likewise, we men might have a hard time understanding, why doesn't she just let it go? She's struggling the same way we men are with lust. You need Yahweh's power. If this thing's really hard for you to let go of, you need Yahweh's power. One way I deal with unforgiveness, because sometimes it's awful hard. It's just awful, awful hard. One way I deal with it is to ask Yahweh to not only forgive them, as I do, but I also slip in there a request that he convict them of their sin. It's like, I mean, just to forgive them and walk away sounds like there's no closure there. And we, we would like their eyes open, wouldn't we? But maybe for those of you who are struggling with in, uh, unforgiveness, maybe that's an idea there. You could, if, you, if you could find the grace to pray that their eyes be opened as well as being forgiven, um, maybe we'll have a basis there for, for them to be saved someday. I know some of this stuff is very ugly. There's some very ugly things we have to forgive. Hmm? But the greater the injustice, the greater the call to messianic character, the greater the call to to messianic glory. Some of you have suffered injustices that are indescribable. I know that. uh, But that's your call to messianic character. That's your call to glory, to forgive the unforgivable. In part two, I talked about pride. I called it genderfied pride. The guy thing, when guys do pride, it's uh, typically you know, they're unwilling to apologize, defensive in the face of a slight challenge. Overachievement, overcommitment, that's a big one for me, making big promises and then crashing and burning when those commitments fall through. Boasting, chest thumping, grotesque projection of masculinity. You know, if I get a bunch of tattoos all over my body and... I run around with lots of weapons, (laughs) grotesque projections of masculinity. I'm not into that stuff, but I'm into some of these other genderfied prides that apply to men. The girl thing is a bit more delicate. Pride working through lack of confidence. And that leads to covering up of perceived faults. I should tell you girls, when you put your makeup on with a paint roller or, or a spray paint gun, or at least it looks that way, when you do that, we're not impressed. You know how you girls are not impressed when men act macho? We're not impressed when, you, when we see you put on all that makeup, like with a trowel. It, 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 it doesn't, doesn't, it's not having the effect you want. All right? But you're covering up perceived faults. Also, this pride works through uh, needless jealousies. I've got to be real careful sometimes that if, if I compliment one lady and another lady's within earshot, I've got to be careful that the second one doesn't feel left out. You know, and um, there's a vulnerability there. And I talked about the cure 
For men, the pride thing is to, to seek Yahweh through humility, to seek avenues of humility, to practice apologizing. For the girls, um, I t- turned in another direction. I spoke about the, the great women in the Bible who had confidence. I don't like putting the word self in there. Just confidence. Just, just confidence, you know. What, why is it that these gals in the Bible were so bold? The leading example for right now um, are the ladies who followed Yahshua to his execution, where all the other guys ran. Where did they get that courage from? Mary anointing Yahshua openly. And this was a, a, a party. She, she crashes a party with this jar of oil, and she anoints him. It took a lot of guts. What did he tell these women? What did he teach them? What did he say? Some of them paid for his ministry out of their own pocket. When I gave that material about the girl thing, the building up of confidence, I urged you sisters to find out what Yahshua taught the ladies in terms of uh, abiding in him. Uh, His teachings, his people, his words, what did he impart to them? And I urged you sisters to find out what that is. Just be careful. One thing I'm always afraid of is somebody who thinks they know Yahweh. In fact, they're just really talking to themselves. And uh, two things to watch for is that as you draw close to Yahweh, you'll manifest two characteristics that Moses and Yahshua both shared. Yahshua of Nazareth and Moses both were humble and they loved sinners. As you draw close to Yahweh, you'll see these two things merging within you. But now we're going to talk about part three. Topics covered this time. Well, you know, I always open with some evangelical material. Something about the good news. I don't think it's enough to just talk about sin. I always want to include some good news stuff. I'll be talking about transitioning from cursing to blessing. I don't want to dwell on cursing, but um, I want to talk about it just enough to stir up some interest, and it will be important as we drill down through the material. Talk about guy thing number three, thoughtlessness. Man, we can be so thoughtless. Oh, my goodness. It, it It is a brutal thing to see how thoughtless men can be. There may be a natural explanation for this. And likewise, uh, the, the girl thing number three, a, a desire toward the husband. That's probably not what you think. When we get there, you, it, you're going to find it's probably not what you think. Unless you've been in Bible study for a long time, you may not know about this and how this affects us. <clears throat> okay, let's press on. Let's transition from cursing to blessing in the good news. The Bible mentions many curses, and it is serious business. In the Messiah, we have provision for dodging the effects of curses. I'm going to give you two cases of curses from the Bible. When I started looking at this, I was stunned at how much the Bible talks about curses. In a little while, I'm going to talk about a curse, an ancient curse that applies to me. Well, it used to apply to me anyway until I prayed about it. Here are two curses in the Bible. I don't know if anybody's ever caught them. When Joshua and the Israelites took Jericho, Joshua cursed the city. 
He said here, Cursed be the man before Yahweh that riseth up and buildeth up the city Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn shall the lay the foundation thereof, and with the loss of his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. Note first that whoever presumes to rebuild Jericho will lose his firstborn. Then when the firstborn dies, the next one in line will be the youngest son. <coughs> this curse puzzled me many years because I know Yahshua, there was actually two Jerichos in his time. And the scriptures show him traveling between those two Jerichos. And I thought, how did that city get built? How did that happen? Well, it turns out the fulfillment of this curse is found in 1 Kings 16.34. And the wording uh, in your older translations is not good. It's, you have to go into older translations. Uh, 1 Kings 16.34. In his days did Hiel, the Bethelite, build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof with the loss of his youngest son, Sigub, according to the word of Yahweh, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. So the curse was fulfilled. Some, some knucklehead presumed to build a city, and Yahweh's curse was fulfilled. The curse that Joshua uh, spoke. Just a little background information. If you go to the previous verse, verse 33, you get a flavor for the spiritual mood at that time. Now, Bethel would be considered part of uh, Judah. So this guy ran up north to northern Israel where Ahab was king. And this is the time when Ahab made the Asherah, and Ahab did yet more to provoke Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Let's remember that when Joshua entered the Holy Land, they went through the area known as Ephraim up north, and one of their first hits was Jericho. So southern and northern Judah got along. They considered themselves brothers. But this curse was fulfilled. I thought it was forgotten. I didn't learn of this until recently. Here's one where the matriarch Rachel blows it. And her husband blew it too. I should have put that in there. In Genesis 31, Jacob moves out from his entire family from Laban. He does it secretly because he's afraid Laban's going to you know, there's people like this in your life. They make up new rules. No matter what you try, they have new rules to try to put boundaries on you. Uh, Laban changed Jacob's wages several times, didn't he? Jacob was afraid that if he tried to leave openly, Laban would say, your daughters are coming back to me. No, my daughters are coming back to me now. And I'm summarizing a lot for you, but what he wasn't aware of uh, is that Rachel stole some of her father's idols on the way out. And it was a moment of insecurity. Obviously, she didn't know Yahweh. Now, in the Hebrew, the word is Elohim there. She stole her father's Elohim. Now, our Elohim is not contained in, in a box or an idol or a figurine. Our Elohim is invisible. He lives within us. Rachel didn't know about that kind of thing. Did you know just before this, um, Yahweh had visited Jacob in Bethel? I'm sorry. It comes a little later. I take that back. Anyway, he's leaving. He's made up his mind he's leaving. And Laban goes chasing them when he finds out they've disappeared. 
And he says to Laban, not only have you left without letting me say goodbye properly, but you also took my idols. And Jacob then says a rash vow. It's a curse. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, and this is how your King James and some other people translate it, even our Word of Yahweh Bible, they'll use the word gods in reference to, to idols. He says, let him not live before our brethren discern thou what design with me and take it to thee. So Jacob's pronouncing a curse on anybody who took those idols. He didn't know it was his own wife. Remember what I talked about guy pride? You know, he could have just said, search the party. Search the party, we'll get to the bottom of it. But he's got to do chest Let them die who did this. And um, that kind of rash stuff always comes back on their head. Like the time David was caught in murder and moral impurity. Let that man be killed. We really should be careful what we say. Was that curse fulfilled? It was Rachel who had the idols. Was that curse fulfilled to be dead? In Genesis 35:16, and they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephratah. I think Ephrat is an is a ancient way of spelling that. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have the son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Benoni means son of my hardship, but <coughs> Jacob changed his name to son of my right hand. That's how much he loved her. He was crazy about Rachel. Now, these curses, they swim around out there, and you never know when they're going to come back. The Bible's got bunches of them, bunches of them. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to read portions of Deuteronomy 27, 14 to 26. When I read this recently, I found myself grieving for my country, for my nation. And to make it worse, other nations have it worse. Deuteronomy, you're going to start at verse 14, go to 26. I'm going to skip some big sections. Not because I want to eliminate the law or anything, but some of this stuff I'm just going to summarize. And this is where the Jews, pardon, not the Jews, the Israelites get on, on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and one side pronounces curses, another pronounces blessings. This is the part where the Levites speak the curses. I want you to ask yourself as I read through this, how much of it applies to our nation? And the Levites shall speak and say unto all men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto Yahweh, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. You don't have to look too hard to find idols in this country. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Yeah, this emphasis on youth, it's cool, it's hip, it's chic. But how many have thrown their parents aside? Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. You know, when I was uh, running that land surveying company, I can't tell you how many stories there were of people moving the boundary points. It was ridiculous. It, I, I, it was so bad. It was so very bad. Just, just pick the stuff up and move it. It's, 
You know, at Sabbath, we really don't have time anyway, but uh, I had one case where a guy literally uh, manufactured a whole lot for himself because he carefully moved these boundary points. And they kept having the meetings to resolve it on a Saturday. And I said, no, I can't go there. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. Only heaven knows how much of that's going on. But let's think also of the treaties that have been broken with the Native Americans. My home right now could be sitting on some guy's, you know, the site of some guy's wigwam or something. I'd, the, the record of treaties broken where we took the Native Americans' land and just kept moving the boundaries over a little bit more, a little bit more. It was really odd. They, the, the federal government would say, well, we can't seem to control these white people who are trespassing on your land, so we have to force you out. So they could gin up the energy to force people off their land. But they couldn't gin up the energy to enforce the laws and the treaties that they had signed willfully. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way. And all the people shall say, Amen. When you sell defective merchandise, have you got any defective merchandise lately? When you sell defective merchandise, have you bought any lately? My mechanic in town, poor, I feel sorry for these guys. Well, they're getting a lot of components from China. And there's a statistical likely that thing won't work. And it's happened to me enough times now that I can take note of it. The most recent one was, uh, I think it was a slave cylinder for a clutch. Um, no, we don't, they don't test this stuff. They just send it out, you know. In other ways, we, uh, we trick people in this country. Cursed be he that perverteth judgment of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. Yeah, there's a curse, all right, for, afflicting, for, for oppressing those who are already afflicted. Now, verse 20 through 23. Let's just say that uh, it's a curse on moral impurity, moral perversion in general. There's a whole heap of that going on too. Some people's lives are scarred deeply by it. Jumping to verse 24, cursed be he that smiteth his neighbor secretly. That's kind of like causing the blind to lose his way. To, to smite your neighbor secretly. Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. Okay, we, we can't know about all these charges against Judge Kavanaugh, we, we, there's no way we're going to know 100%. But I know two people already came forward and said, I lied, I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that. Why did they do this? You know, well, there was people hooting and hollering who wanted that to, to you know, come to fruition. Take a reward to slay the innocent. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Well, there's plenty there for you, for me, for our nation, for our culture in general. These curses are all over the place. And we should move heaven and earth to make sure we're not in on it. The good news is that when Yahshua buys you, when he purchases you, you're off the hook on this stuff. Deliverance from curses is part of the menu of all the things that go into salvation. There you go, salvation. What does that word mean? Okay. Well, it certainly means uh, forgiveness of your sins, deliverance from your sins, the curse of sins. 
other curses, family curses, put-downs. I want to focus on the concept of redemption, because we hear that word, redeemer, redemption, we hear that word. This has nothing to do with trading in your green stamps. It has nothing to do with trading in your frequent flyer miles. Ancient classical redemption is a deal where somebody gets in trouble and somebody else gets them out of trouble, usually at a high cost. Primarily it happens with kinsmen redeemers. You get in trouble, I help bail you out. I help get you out of that trouble. It could be an unpayable debt. Maybe you'll have to sell yourself to slavery to work it out. I come along and say, look, I'll take you off the hook. It's over. It's done. It's paid for. That's redemption. Yahshua of Nazareth owns you. There's no other debts. He's paid all that. In Galatians 3.10, talks about one kind of curse, the curse of disobeying Yah's law. For as many as are out of apart from the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Well, we just read that, didn't we? The Messiah hath redeemed us, Galatians 3.13. He hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. If you come, become aware of a curse that applies to you, here's all you have to do. It's not complex, friend. We don't have to go into some deep thing like some churches do. Just set aside some formal prayer time and say, Father, something like this, Father, I, I've learned that there was a curse on my family or on my life or maybe because of some sins I committed. Confess before heaven that Yahshua owns you. He's your redeemer. The Bible says he's redeemer. He, he paid that price. Forgive all those who've done wrongdoing to you. Make sure you make that clear, because even unforgiveness is inviting trouble for yourself. And pray formally that past curses be lifted from you. I'll give you an example of what I had to pray about. You know, if some of you know I did my DNA test. One of the sisters in England said that I act too Jewish to not be Jewish. So on the basis of that, I scraped the inside of my mouth. I sent in the test tubes. And on Daddy's side, there was no Hebrew, no, nothing Jewish. I thought it would be Polish. It turned out I was Bohemian. But on Mom's side, I'm related to a colony of Jews in Morocco. Okay, and I have this fantasy of flying there someday and saying, Hey, I'm your brother. <laughs> Let's see what they tell me. But... Um, you see, there's a downside to having Jewish blood in your veins. In Matthew 27, 24 to 25, they said, let his blood be on us and our children. This is what they said about Yahshua's, uh, their desire to execute him. If there really is Jewish blood in my veins, and I think there is, some of my ancestors could have been in that mob. And so I formally went to Yahweh, and I said, please lift that off of me. And make sure that doesn't apply to me. And as a disciple of Yahshua, I have a right to claim that. Some of you have Hispanic background. Here's something for you. A lot of you have Hispanic background, which means you have Spanish blood in your veins. The significant fraction of the, of the, of the Spanish are Jews. They were formerly Sephardic Jews who converted to Catholicism. 
This is not, this is not some made-up conspiracy theory. It's a statistical likelihood. If you're Hispanic, you really ought to take a close look at this and see if praying about this applies to you. But when we pray to lift the curses off of our life, it means we're taking them seriously as Yahweh does. So I ask you, please, go in Yahshua's name. You go before Yahweh and you ask him to lift any curses. If you find out about some later in life, you could ask him to unmask these things. The reason it becomes important is because there are a lot of people walking through life who don't know what it is to be successful. They feel like they're always climbing up a slippery hill. In life in general, it's hard enough. But you are a child of the king and you are expected to be reasonably successful in your life. And if you've ever suspected that there is a curse in your life, you ought to go pray about that. There are people who have applied this wisely. You don't go crazy. You don't go looking for a curse behind every door. But there are people who have formerly gone to Yahweh, prayed about this, and bang, their lives turn around. We're going to talk about, in this third installment, uh, installment of East Side, West Side, uh, relational features between men and women. I want to emphasize the word relational. My, my desire is certainly that people be redeemed, that they bump it up a notch, that they draw closer to heaven, and they have more success. There was a lot of surprises for me, even though many years of preparation went into this. Um, I was surprised at the, some of the feelings and discoveries I made along the way. There's no question in my mind for men, issue number M3, male, issue number three, is thoughtlessness. Thoughtlessness. And there's just so many examples of that. Now I'm talking now about what I have observed with my own eyes and heard with my own ears. One thing that really eats away at me is when I hear a man speak harshly to his wife. Another is where a man overlooks important dates, thoughtlessness, just not thinking, or neglecting duties. I don't think I see that here, thank heavens, because I'd have a hard time looking some of you in the eye. But if this is going on behind the closed doors of your home, you can fix it. I'm going to talk about speaking harshly to wives. Um, It was the, excuse me, (coughs) mid-1970s, I was a late teenager, uh, living, late teenager, early adult living on the south side of Chicago. And across the street from my apartment building was another one, a two-flat. I lived on the second floor. I did my homework there. And I would often look around the neighborhood just to see what's going on. I wasn't spying on people. I was just watching what's going on. Across the street was a lovely lady, married to a kind of a husky, burly guy. He always looked like somebody in a cartoon or a Hollywood movie. He was shaped like an ice cream cone and had bushy, curly red hair, very muscular, and he liked to work on cars. And the the wife herself was a, I don't know, I think a righteous man knows what I mean when I say I found her attractive, but I wasn't attracted to her. It isn't like I had a hard time getting her out of my mind, just that this is a lovely lady. She was obviously a dedicated mom and wife. But he was out there working on the car. I'm on the second floor. And my attention was was captured when she came out and said, dinner's going to be a little late. And this 
This guy says, what do you want me to do, starve? Yelled real loud at his wife, because dinner's late. That, as a youth, that bothered me. Why would a man talk to his wife that way? And she seemed, I never saw any evidence of rebellion, or I never saw an evil eye on her face. It troubled me all my life. There was a couple other times he picked on her openly. And ever since then, you know, I, I kind of pay attention to these things. It irks me when I hear a man say, Sally, bring me a drink of water. Like, what? what, what? Is she your slave? Is she your bellboy? What, what is this? Now, I don't know how my mom and dad talked. They divorced when I was too young to remember. Um, I learned a lot from their relationship because they loved each other all the days of their life. They just didn't know how to communicate. But I remember going to Uncle Henry's home, and he talked to his wife like they were still dating. Honey, could you please bring some sugar for me? That's how he talked to his wife. I never could understand why a man would talk harshly to his wife. There may be situations where you have to speak up right away. No, no, no. you got to speak up right away because there's a false assumption in the air or some some error has been brought out, maybe there's a, a reason to speak up right away. But uh, those are very rare. They do happen. It's very rare. But this business of just talking to your wife like she's a pack mule, I, I never could understand that. That's where a man is thoughtless. He's not thinking of her or her feelings. In the book of Hosea, Yahweh shows us about his love for Israel, even when she's unfaithful. And he tells about how he's going to lure his wife back. In Hosea 2.14, he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Now, I don't want you to get the impression Yahweh never spoke comfortably to her. If you read the prophecies of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Yahweh makes it clear that he had a strong intimacy with Israel. In, in the age of the prophets, he was talking to Israel a lot. But you see, by bringing her into the wilderness, she starts to appreciate her husband more. The point is that he speaks comfortably unto her. Okay, I'm a single guy, you know, and I, I listen, I pay attention. If I hear a man fail to speak comfortably to his wife, it's like fingernails on a blackboard to me. I think it's like fingernails on a blackboard to your wife, too. Overlooking important dates. This is another thing. <laughs> this is almost a cliche in our culture. No, there's no excuse for this. You guys remembered this stuff in the past. You seem to be able to remember business appointments and stuff like that. You seem to be able to remember when to change the oil of your car. You know how important that is. But uh, a lot of these gals in our life, they want us to remember the, the first date, the date of the first date. They want us to remember the day we got engaged. They want us to remember the day they got married. They want to remember a lot of this stuff. And that's imp something important to them. The Bible mentions the word remember 144 times. There's probably, the Hebrew word behind that itself is probably a lot more times. But among the times you look at the word remember with your search tool, the word remember appears in the context of a day ten times. So I'm not talking about something that's foreign to the Bible. Remembering important days. 
is an example of thoughtfulness, not thoughtlessness. And sometimes guys have uh, forgotten important dates in my space, and I think, man, it's so easy to do. We have, um, well, there's not too many Blackberries anymore, but we have handheld devices, we have alarms, we have electronic calendars. We have so many ways to remind ourselves of these important dates. And um, for the ladies in our space, it's very reasonable to expect you to remember that in some special way. Hey, yeah, I wanted to have a word on hormones driving remembrance. Let me underscore that word, hormones. See, when you're chasing a woman's heart, it's kind of easy to take note of what's important to her. When you're chasing a girl's heart, it's kind of easy to gin up the energy to do things, remember this, take care of that, because you're hormonally driven. You're driven by, you say, oh, I've got, I got to please this girl. I've got to get next to this girl. Now, let's have the break here. I'd like you to think about something with me. When David purchased the threshing floor of Arauna, Arauna said, here, take all the supplies you need. Just take them. Just take them. He says, no, I've got to give Yahweh a sacrifice that costs me something. All right, girls, I'm going to come back to this thing here. Some of you are married now or you're in a courtship. I'm going to ask you a little question. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I want you to think about something with me. It's kind of exciting to have a man hanging pink notes on your garden gate and nibbling around the edges of your life and showing you, making you feel very special, right? Because he's, he's driven by that. He's got feelings for you. Okay, hormones are detonating in his bloodstream, and he's highly motivated to get that relationship going. But there comes a point where the flames of romance cool down. And your man's not driven by that anymore. In other words, he's not on autopilot. Now he's got to think about it. He isn't like automatically thinking about you. He's got to force himself to think about you. He's got to put some skin in the game. He's got to jot it down or send an email to himself or something to remember things that are important to you. Here's the question. Would you rather your husband be driven by hormones or he's on autopilot? Or would you rather him be like King David and invest in you something that costs him something? Or he, he's, he's no longer doing it because it makes him feel good. He's doing these things because it makes you feel good. He's thought about it. And I've often wondered about this. I, I know, I've met two couples in my life, maybe three, who had no feelings for each other whatsoever. They sat down and with their brains said, we could have a good relationship. Let's have a courtship and let's see if we can build that. And so it was a conscientious assertion of their will. They rebuilt, not rebuilt, they built from zero a relationship. So which would you rather have? Well, I suppose the best thing is to have both, but you can't have 100% of both at the same time. But from my research, experience, observation, when men invest in their wives, when they, when, you know, not because they're just driven by a, a giddy feeling, but because they really want their wife to know you're special. I'm so glad Yahweh put you in my life. When a man does that out of the wellspring of his own thoughtfulness, that's very powerful.
The third area, this is the last one under this subtopic, is neglecting duties. In Galatians 6, 9, and 10, it says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall leap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Neglecting duties. Men can be so thoughtless that they neglect their duties. They dodge difficult decisions. They uh, go into, they swing into inaction with needed repairs. Uh, financial recklessness. At times when men can be that way. Or they're neglecting their duties by falling into these categories and more. Well, I'm going to give you the remedy, Ben, for developing thoughtfulness. Okay, I'm going to give you what I come up with. Is number one is learn the five love languages. How many here have not heard of the five love languages? You've not heard of the five love languages. Well, you, that should be the next book on the book club. <laughs> Dr. Chapman, Gary Chapman, he's a, he's a pastor somewhere out there. But he wrote a, a bestseller book, The Five Love Languages. Hallelujah, I stayed at the home of uh, a married couple in the faith. And the bookshelf was right there by the front door, so I didn't think they'd mind. I always look at book collections to see if there's something I could benefit from. And this book was on their shelf, The Five Love Languages. He keeps putting a different cover on it. The most recent cover has a couple dancing on the beach. Here they're just walking on the beach. I'm going to tell you what The Five Love Languages are. We're going to talk about these at length. Turns out both men and women can learn from this. It's just that I'm pushing this on the men so they develop thoughtfulness. Dr. Chapman discovered in his analysis, lots of research, there's five, basically five categories in which people express love. Or what do you want to receive love? Receiving gifts, spending quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service or devotion, and finally physical touch. Five categories. Now, um, you guys know that I'm I'm so careful about honoring parents. I'm careful what I say about Adam and Eve. Let's see if we can learn from my parents who really did leave each other. They loved each other even though they were divorced. My dad's ancestry was traceable to Eastern Europe. War-torn, famine, starvation. He thought he was doing a good job by giving mom gifts and doing acts of service. My mom was the only woman in our space, in our neighborhood, in our circle of friends. My mom was the only one who had her own car at that time and her own phone. French provincial furniture, exactly like she wanted. The piano in my living room is one of those gifts that Dad gave her. He did things for her. He put an extension on the home. And this all made sense to him because of the ancestral influence. But mom, her ancestry came from French Canada. She wanted uh, candlelights, holding hands on the couch, that kind of stuff. Two different love languages, very different. According to Dr. Chapman, everybody has two primary, like a primary one and a secondary one. So with dad, it's going to be acts of service and receiving gifts, We know that because that's what he did. Mom wanted quality time. She wanted that real bad. And they, they, (laughs) onlookers wonder, these two people love each other, 
but they they never got together. Well, they didn't know about this. I don't know. I don't know what my my mother's secondary area was. It couldn't have been receiving gifts or acts of service because that didn't register with her. Later in their life, they developed a real warm friendship, my mother and my father. They were pretty far on in years, and they did some of the silliest things. From the, from the sidelines, we children laughed and giggled at how they were trying to show each other they cared, but they, <laughs> they, they, they had a good relationship, but they never had any romantic traction. And it could, have, it could have been absolutely beautiful if they understood what the other person wanted. Man, you're going to have to go out your comfort zone. And I'll tell you, if you find out what your wife's love language is, you develop thoughtfulness in that love language. Suppose that is something that would never enter your mind. When you try it and you see it gets results, you'll think it's supernatural. Think, wow, I didn't think that would work. But here's the ultimate inoculation. For those of you who are not married yet, practice thoughtfulness with the mom and other important women in your life. Hmm? You got a mom out there? Be thoughtful to her. Explore what it means to appeal to her heart and to make her happy. It is said that the way a man treats his mom is the way he's going to treat his wife. I know there are difficult cases out there. Suppose your mom is a is a mean old battle axe, yeah, a mean old battle axe from Russia. Suppose that's what your your mom is. Well, then you are going to be the only light she sees. Huh. You may be the brightest light she sees. I laid siege to my parents' heart, both mom and dad. I'm talking about mom now. And my mom always knew I was going to look out for her. Oh, I'm glad they didn't read the will out loud. I'm glad we didn't have a public reading of the will. Because um, evidently it worked. I mean, I, I convinced mom that I had her best welfare at heart. And it was something I, I got successful at. Trying to figure out what she wanted. So there it is. I, you guys want a remedy for your thing? There it is. Be thoughtful by learning the love languages of the people around you. And uh, you can practice on mom. Practice on your sisters. Practice on other women in your space. Do it before you get married. Okay? Don't, do, don't say, hey, I want to get married so I learn to be thoughtful. <laughs> you, you don't want that. Don't, no girl wants that. Okay, now for the ladies. Okay? I kind of like that picture. Remember, I call this a weakness. I don't want to call this a sin because it, it's a weakness that can lead to sin. This is a real delicate topic. And if you've been thinking about the material, you see how things are interacting with each other. Are you trying to get my attention? Oh, you're just stretching, Annika? Okay. <laughs> Annika's back there. It looked like she was pointing to the clock. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I, I want to make sure I do a good job here. <laughs> Let's underscore that word weakness. I do not want to condemn anybody. There's no reason to. We're looking for solutions. We want the kingdom in our midst. In Genesis 3.16, unto the woman, Yahweh says the following, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. 
And I underline those words, the desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And uh, so many misreadings of this, needless misreadings. One might say, oh, that means a girl always wants a husband. Well, wait a minute. Most men feel the same way coming in the other direction. I don't, you know, I don't see that as a curse to want to, to, want to uh, enter into married life. Now, there's a similar language in Genesis 4, and observant Bible students have caught this. This is where Cain's sacrifice is not accepted. Yahweh says unto Cain in Genesis 4, 6, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Whoa, exact same language. Sin desires you, Cain, but you shall rule over him. You shall, you're going to get that in control. So sin is personified. This is something we see in Hebrew a lot, where inanimate things are spoken of as though they're persons. And unto thee shall be his desire. Observant Bible students have noticed this similarity and concluded what what many have observed without biblical insight. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. What it means is there'll be a built-in desire to rule your husband. And I'm not the only guy to catch this. There's others who have found this too. And I'm not even going to say this is a sin. It's like we have our things, guys, that we have to deal with. There are times when you ladies are going to want to get in there and take control. And this appears to stem from a lack of confidence in the future, some kind of an insecurity. It's well known among men in our culture anyway that a girl will work real hard to find a man and then she'll move heaven and earth to try to fix him. We, we, we know about this, you know, like, like, like we're a Ken doll, you know. By the way, I let, I've always let women pick my clothes for me, you know, but, but, and I don't mind at all. They typically have better taste than me. But there are situations, we'll describe some specifics here. There'll be situations where a woman in marriage is going to feel a desire to, like, take control. And here's some of the methods you gals use. We're, we're on to your tricks, okay, but we still fall for them. Pleading, the soft-boiled eyes. Now, you, learned, you girls learned to use those soft-boiled eyes when you were a little girl. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. You learned how to use those eyes. Okay, sometimes there's threats. Okay, sometimes there's threats where, where it seems like the wife wants to get her way. Then there's the silent treatment. Oh, boy, that's a hard one. That's, that's silent treatment. That's a hard one. You know, if your husband has offended you, the worst thing you can do is the silent treatment. The Torah says you should go to those who offend you direct. Sometimes you've got to speak up real fast. But uh, that silent treatment's real deadly, and I hope you girls... It's, it's a controlling behavior, and I would that all... All of y'all, I've never seen a guy do that, but I, I, I would that everyone forsake that. It's better off to say, your remarks offended me, or the way you said it offended me, or what you did or failed to do offended me. Instead of making your husband go into this guessing game, the poor guy feels like he's throwing darts at a dartboard. Was it yesterday morning? Was it something I did last week? You know, and, and the wife sits there with her arms folded like the king of Siam, no, it's nothing. It's nothing. And the husband 
is at a loss. Until he, 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 until he throws the dart at the bullseye, well, it's just not fun. One thing, I have never seen that here, but uh, one thing I have seen elsewhere is open rebuke in front of kids or friends or, or a woman. <laughs> and some gals think that their husbands will jump and snap into line on that. We're going to talk about taking control in a minute, but open rebuke in front of kids or friends. Thank heavens, I've never seen that here. But if a woman presumes to insult her husband in front of friends or children, you'll notice that typically the husband is silent. Not always, but typically they're silent. And I guess somebody should let you know, when a man is silent in such a case, he's not being humble. He's quietly weighing his options. And it's an ugly thing to do that. Just like I spoke earlier of men speaking harshly to their wives in front of others, you girls got to be careful what you say to your husband in front of others because there's a place for that stuff. But taking control, yeah, because I I am convinced that there's a lot of ladies taking on burdens they were never meant to take. And this gets really delicate, because I don't know what you've negotiated within your home. But I know what I've seen. I know what I've researched. And I can't believe that all these, this 100% unanimity fact it only worked in those spaces where I was looking. Where the lady of the house sort of takes over. And some of the justifications are, if I don't take charge, nothing will get done. Uh, that happens. I'm only seeking the best for my family. And note the consequences of self-justified intervention and good intentions. Some of this is going to get really hard. It's going to, ladies, some of this is going to drive you right back to Yahweh's throne. If this forces you to go back to Yahweh's throne, then the chances I took here today are worth it. Let's see. I'm going to give you a story was documented in one of those famous seminars that was popular toward the end of the last century. Some of you have probably been to the seminar on basic life principles. Hmm? Anybody heard of that? Okay. In the 20, late, late 20th century, I'd say 1% of all America had been to that seminar. That was my estimate. This story was well documented and presented there. A woman had noticed her husband in business dealings was failing. He was going into debt. And uh, she, from a distance, was crushed. My husband's failing. What am I going to do? And she wanted to deliver him from that. So she took out a loan in her own name. I think there was some hawking of jewelry in there, too. But she got this pile of dough, and she paid off the debts for her husband. Her husband then proceeded to run off with the secretary. Okay. What's going on here? What's going on? Why? How did that happen? There's a big lesson here. And, of course, my first impulse is to think, this guy's scum, he's no good, he's bad, you know. And this wife, oh, she was so wonderful, she tried to save him. Remember now, I'm speaking of a curse Yahweh pronounced on half of the human race. And I'm trying to sort this out. This take control attitude can go too far, can't it? Yahweh was using that man's failure to bring him to his knees. 
And once the pressure was gone, he felt liberated to run off with the secretary. And this is a hard thing to ask you girls because, you know, I'm convinced you girls are gems, every one of you. You're talented. You, you're, you're, you're slightly smarter than men statistically. Um, the, uh, you're highly skilled. You're sensitive in ways men can only work toward. And so you have this super agency put on the earth to help mankind, and then you find out you've got to hold your peace. You've got to be humble. <laughs> you've got to stay your hand. And it's very hard to do that. Yeah, I would put women on this earth to help mankind. I, don't, I know he didn't put garbage on this earth for that purpose. And you're going to be inclined sometimes to take charge, take control, and take things into your own hands. It's going to be very hard, girls, for you to step back and look at it through Yahweh's eyes. Your husband will have to fail. And he's going to have to find Yahweh on his own knees. And there are times when your husband's going to wind up on his own face. And he needs that brokenness. And for you to deny him that, it increases your security for a short while. But your real security is in Yahweh. It would, I know it would be very hard for any of you ladies to stay your hand and let your husband fail. But when you trust Yahweh with these things, you're, you're tr- counting on an unseen hand to make it all work out, even through great failure. You ask any successful man. We learn far more from our failures than our successes. Come on, this is unanimous. This is absolute, across the board. You learn far more from your mess-ups uh, I, I saw a commencement, uh, a graduation commencement speech from Denzel Washington. He said, "He said you got to fail big." And it was a Christian-like message, but he said you got to fail big. You got to plan to fail big because that's where you're going to learn a lot. And uh, he did talk about putting Yahweh first. That was it. Was good to see that. But girls, you'll have to develop a relationship with Yahweh and Yahshua in you. Confidence in them as you let your husband fail. More specifically, you're letting your husband develop messianic character by not trying to control these outcomes. Your need for confidence is a spiritual prompting to abide in him. This page is lifted from my previous presentation. You've got to abide in Yahshua, his people, his teachings, the teachings of his hand-picked ambassadors, the, the apostles. Yahshua will point you to the law, and the law will point you to Yahshua. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. You know, friends, we can't dissect every family case here. But it is reasonable to call for husbands and wives to revisit and recalibrate their family duties so that the husband is assuming his responsibilities. Note the second part of that verse. I'm toggling these two pages so you see it. And thy desire to be to thy husband, part two, and he shall rule over thee. There are idiots out there who think this means they crack the whip and they rule with an iron fist. It's talking about men of fulfilling their duties. The husband must have a biblical basis for the order of the home. You know, I can't tell you guys how often I've heard women say this. I wish my husband would take these burdens off my shoulder. 
Why does he always make me? Why do I always have to make the big decisions? One thing I really don't like, don't pull this with me. You're my friends. Don't pull this with me. If you've got bad news for me, call me direct. Over the course of my life, I've had guys' wives call me with bad news. Why, why can't you face me? You know? Why would a man put on his wife burdens that he should carry? I think it's very reasonable to put that out there, that all of you think about what you're expecting in terms of home structure, in terms of the man carrying the burdens, the, the, the heaviest responsibilities on his shoulder. Often the wife must let go, and this can be hard to do. I know that. I'm going to try to summarize. As I've, tra- I've challenged you to today, I know there's people squirming. Well, I didn't see you squirm, but emotionally I think some of you are squirming in your seat now. Number one, the evangelical part, transition from cursing to blessing and the good news. You take care of that in a private formal prayer. Make sure to claim Yahshua as your owner, your redeemer. You are in him. You're baptized into his name. You're baptized into his death. You're baptized into his resurrection. You are in him. If there's any lingering curses out there, have that taken care of. And now you know why I talked about that, because in the last section... I talked about a curse put upon half of mankind. Guy thing, number three, thoughtlessness. Embrace your duties. Behave kindly. Learn the love languages. And practice thoughtfulness now with mom and with other women in your life. Girl thing, number three. The desire toward the husband is actually an instinct to take charge. And we know you mean well. You have to develop discipleship in Yahshua to let go and let your husband develop his own messianic qualities, even to the point of occasional failure. Well, that concludes East Side, West Side, East Side, West Side in three parts. I want to thank you for your kind attention. You've been enormously generous in listening through all these. I'm going to commit the service now back to the moderator, Jose. Oh, there you are. Okay, friend.